Today, I have Fizzy on the podcast with me to talk about cystic fibrosis and being Black in the CF community. I, I want to give Fizzy a moment to introduce herself, and then uh, we'll take things from there. Hello, everyone. Um, yes, my name is Fizzy, and I am a mother of a son with, with cystic fibrosis. He is five years old. Um, as for myself, I am a content creator, um, an event planner, and also a student. Um, I'm hopeful to get my degree in physical therapy assistance within the next two years or so. I am also just a spreader of, of hope and joy. So that's in a nutshell, that is me. <laughs> I love it. You are you are just a joyful person. I, I don't remember exactly how I came across you on Instagram. Maybe you have a better memory than I do. But um I remember we had we had some interactions back and forth and that was just one of the first things that struck me is how positive you are of a person and and I know that you know things aren't always easy in your day-to-day life. So I just I think that's really admirable. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I, you know what, I, I'm not sure how we came across each other either, but I, I usually try to follow people who are associated with, you know, CF and kind of build that community because I long for that connection. I think we all kind of do. I knew that I wanted to have you on the podcast um, after I reached out to you about the grant that I'm applying for with the CF Foundation, uh, which I haven't really talked about yet outside of like a little sphere of people. Um, but I applied for a CFF, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Impact Grant for a project, which I won't get like too much into the details of, but basically um, <clears throat> it's a project that highlights all the different identities that exist within the CF community. Um, and we had already talked prior to that. And so I knew a little bit about you and your son and your journey with within cystic fibrosis in the CF community. And so I knew I wanted to talk to you because I think, you know, I, I've been part of the CF community since I was seven. I was diagnosed with CF when I was seven. And I've always felt just an inherent sense of being included my place in the CF community has never been questioned. And I know that that's not always the case for people of color in the cystic fibrosis community because it's widely thought of as a Caucasian disease. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. and as you'll as you'll speak to, um, even healthcare providers sometimes don't know that mm-hmm. people of color can have CF. Again, I'll let, I'll let you speak to your experience, but... Um, I just think that it's really important that people know that you and your son are here too, and you're part of this community and we're living with the same disease. And so if you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear your like origin story with cystic fibrosis, how, you know, how you came to become part of the CF community. Well, I found out at 20 weeks that I was a carrier of cystic fibrosis, the, the gene. Um, and the way that I found out was I, I you know, had the testing done. And I remember speaking to the geneticist and she said, you know, um, you don't have anything to worry about. The only thing I see on, on your panel is a CFTR, which is an indicator of cystic fibrosis. And, you know, I see that you're African-American and what's your, and is your husband black or... And um, I told her that he was, and she's like, oh, well, like you don't have anything to worry about. And at, at that point, I had no idea, you know, what cystic fibrosis was. You know, I, I hadn't really heard about it, but I had an inkling that it was not good, you know. And so I kind of went through the rest of my pregnancy with just like, I just felt like something was off. Of course, I watched these videos on YouTube about, you know, CF. And I I remember specifically, I watched this video on YouTube with these two sisters that had it and they lived in Australia and one was much sicker than the other. There wasn't a lot of treatment. You know, they did, they showed them doing their best therapies. And I watched another documentary 
where it was uh, following the lives of three people with cystic fibrosis. And I remember the, the man, he was, he had just become a father. He ended up passing. And I remember I had that gut feeling that just stuck with me. Like i for some reason, feel like this disease is going to be a part of my life in one way or another, you know? Interesting. And That's I interesting people... that the geneticist telling you it's not possible didn't like assuage your worries about it, that you still felt like this might be something. Yeah. You know, it was like her saying that put a, the best way I can ex- explain it was like a flimsy bandaid, you know, like the band-aids that you buy from the dollar store that it's going to fall off the, the second you start sweating or, you know, things yeah. get a little bit uncomfortable. And that's what happened. You know, I was probably kind of comforted for a day. And then after that, I just had this gut feeling that this disease was going to be a part of my life, you know, one way or another. Anyway, um, I ended up giving birth to V. He wasn't breathing when he was born. So they had to like, they I didn't get to like hold him or anything. You know, they, they, they took him right away, suctioned him out. They kept him back there for like 20 minutes. And I'm, I was at, asking all kinds of questions. And I'm, you know, at this point, I was in, I didn't have him in like a regular delivery room. Um, they were threatening emergency C-section because I wasn't dilating fast enough. And like there was meconium and, mm. and his pulse was dropping. It was, it was crazy. And so I ended up dilating like just enough, like nine centimeters enough to, to push him out. And then, and then, you know, this moment that every mom dreams of having where she can connect with the, with the babies, you know, with her baby right after she has it, like that kind of got taken away. And when he wasn't breathing, that reestablished this worry. Like it, I guess it deepened the worry that I had. So at that point, he still wasn't diagnosed. Like they didn't do any further testing or anything when you were still pregnant to determine no, whether they or not. didn't. Okay. They did not. They just assumed that, you know, because you're black. Prob- yeah. Because I'm black. He probably, if anything, he might have asthma. And if he does, he'll, you know, they'll give him some albuterol. He'll bounce back. He'll be fine. Um, they did the heel prick and the protein was found. And what really blew my mind was at this point, we know that he is at least a carrier. Mm-hmm. But instead, of saying, hey, let's go and start the, you know, get him set up for a sweat test. Let's get, let's start the process of getting him diagnosed as soon as possible, just in case, because we know that he's at least a carrier. I had to go through seven weeks of him losing weight every day. Um, I breastfed him. And so I had people telling me, well, maybe you just need to fortify your milk, you know, Maybe you have diet. Maybe your breast milk is diet, you know, just like, you know, just saying weird things like, oh, maybe if you eat like you need to, you know, you really need to just graze while you're, you know, while you're breastfeeding. Like you just need to make sure you're eating everything Um, because I just didn't, you know, I couldn't have possibly been eating enough because, you know, he shouldn't have been losing weight. Right. So he ended up going from six pounds, seven ounces to under, under six pounds, like five pounds and something within that short period of time. Um, And I remember suggesting to the pediatrician, you know, can we, he does have this gene, you know, do you think that we should go ahead and get him tested? And she said, well, if need be, we'll tube him. But, you know, I could probably send him referral to, you know, to a gastrologist, but, you know, cystic fibrosis is something that little white kids get. And I just like, I just don't think that those were her words. And I just don't think that that's what, you know, what he has, you know, he's. Well, I mean, you would think for the pediatrician, like knowing that he's at least a carrier, if it's possible for him to be a carrier and he's not a little white kid, that it might be possible that he has CF, you know, like that's just so ignorant. Yeah, it was extremely, it was extremely ignorant. And what made it weird is the pediatrician 
this pediatrician was the same pediatrician that my husband had, like as oh, wow. a kid, like they, you know, small town, you know, everybody just, just goes to him. It was like, a, yeah. Like, yeah. And so, um, so when, when she said that I was just, I just felt shocked because here I am bringing my child in to the doctor for, you know, the um, umpteen time trying to figure out like, okay, you bring your, your newborn into the doctor and you, you're supposed to get excited when they're, you know, you found out they're, they're gaining weight and they're hitting mm-hmm. these milestones and, and these normal things that you're supposed to be excited about. But instead, like my child has newborn size clothes that are falling off of him because He's almost two months old. Yeah. She said, well, if you really want to get him tested, I will send the referral. I don't think he has it. But if you want to do, you know, I'm not going to deny you this if you think that that this may be a reality for him. So we started the process. He got a sweat test. The first time he got the sweat test, he was so tiny that they couldn't get enough sweat. Mm. And the second time they did it, um, it was his numbers were astronomical. So, So it was very clear that he had CF. Very clear. Very clear. He was extremely pancreatic insufficient. Um, so that been another was... thing that you noticed, you know, changing his diapers, you know, like I, I went seven years in my life, my first seven years of my life, not having enzymes. So I know what that's like. And like, without being gross, like those are not normal poops. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah. And look, we could look, this is, I'm totally, I will talk about poop all day. So you will not, <laughs> well, I'm not offended because that's the truth. And I think just being in the, the CF community, you know, we talk poop because we have yes. to. Yes. And that was another thing. And I did forget to mention that when I would feed him, it was just like. In and out. Yeah, it was in and out. And it was just like these, like this liquid foam almost mm. like that would just come out or like, it was like just very runny. Right it just down. smelled like it's it smelled like just a little bit different from milk, wow. which was weird. So his body and was so, not, not yeah, so like he wasn't absorbing that. anything. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't absorbing anything. This when the sweat test came back, you know, we still had to wait for the official diagnosis from from the um, pulmonologist. Mm. And that felt like a million years, you know, mm-hmm. to get to that point. And I just remember sitting in a room. And being told that, you know, your son's symptoms and results are consistent with with cystic fibrosis. I just remember being I remember those words. And I also remember him him telling me, telling us that there are therapies that can be used to help you know make cystic fibrosis a little bit more comfortable. There is no cure. However, CF patients can get lung transplants and. As, you know, as like if that's just, a consolation. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm just, I'm just like, I, I just sat there, and when I tell you, I felt like my soul was. I felt like I was looking at myself from the ceiling. Yes, yeah. yes, from overhead, like overhead of my body, and just like watching, you know, myself process this, and and now all of this, and now you're telling me, okay, you can get a lung transplant if. If it gets bad enough, if his lungs fail and now and, you know, his lifespan, you're telling me he has a lifespan of around 40 and like I'm supposed to just take in this information, you know, and I just remember feeling like a shell of myself, you know, like what am I supposed to do with this information? How am I supposed to just, you know, go on with what I know now? and. Did you feel supported at all? I felt alone. I knew that there was support because I think there's a difference between people saying, it's like when you experience, the best way I can explain it is when you experience something tragic in your life and people, they say, oh, I'm here for you. I'm so, yeah. reach what out whenever you need me. Yeah. What can, if I can do, if I can do anything, you know, just let me know. It's nice for people to say those things. Don't get me wrong. But when, when you're in it, you don't need, and this is how I feel about it. You don't need people saying, oh, well, if there's anything I could do for you, let me know. What you need is people showing up at your door with meals, showing up like 
let, like calling you and saying like, look, um, I'm close to your house. If I can, I have this, I can drop this off. Or if you want me to, you know, if you have like other kids or something, if you want me to take the kids yeah. or whatever, I could do that. If you, you know, just kind of. Because you don't have the presence of mind. Support. You don't have the presence of mind when you're in a situation like that to think about like, okay, what do I need? And then to ask it, like that's putting the onus on you as the person who's yes. already going through shit to figure yeah. it out. I remember my mom saying that when my brother was going through his liver transplant. So my brother and sister um, are younger than me and they also have CF. And my brother um, had a liver transplant when he was 15. And I remember my mom getting frustrated by that too. And, you know, people have good intentions, but it's like, when you say that, when you leave it like, Hey, I'm here, let me know what you need. Then Mm -hmm. it puts the onus on the person going through the struggle of like trying to get their mind together enough to figure out what it is that they Mm -hmm. need when you really just need people to step in and do stuff for Like you said, make you food, like do the bait, like help you do the basic things that are like so far from your mind when you're going through something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I I don't know what the heck I need, you know, when I'm going through, when I'm like, I'm in the fire right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, so I knew that I was loved throughout the process, but you know, I didn't know what to ask for. I felt like no one else knew what I was going through. And then, you know, the first thing you do is you get on YouTube and you start seeing like, uh, first. well, yeah, like it's the, cause you, you want information. I was also looking for community. So I'm like, okay, the first thing I need to know, I need to be able to talk to somebody with this mm-hmm. and things I can say that things have gotten, gotten a lot better, like since, you know, V was born and everything like there's a lot more people who are are, are talking about CF, sharing their journeys. And so it's easier to connect with people now. But before I felt like it was harder and I didn't know who, you know, you you don't know if people really want to talk about it, which kind of leads me to naturally I wanted to find other black people with this disease. I need to talk to someone who knows what I'm dealing with. But it will also be really nice to talk to someone who like like looks like me mm-hmm. and maybe we can see if there's any similarities in the mm-hmm. way that the disease is manifesting or, you know, yeah. just community anything. Did and your so, did your care team like connect you with the CF Foundation or offer any resources or anything like that of like helping you connect with the community? So they did. And I was really Good. grateful and I'm grateful for my team because my, the Good. V's team is, they really are amazing. So they did give me those resources to, you know, connect with the CF foundation. Yeah. So my team did give me a good, um, a resource to the cystic fibrosis foundation and it did help me to at least read real stories and get real information, but I still longed for a community of people who looked like me mm-hmm. that were living with this because I just needed to know that I wasn't the only one. How did you find that? Or did you? I did find, I did. I found one girl on Instagram and I followed her and she's, um, I don't even remember her name, but I know she lived in like, I think Barbados or she was from oh, one wow. of the, the islands. Yeah. And it, I followed her and her journey was, was rough. I mean, she was, she was sick because they didn't have had even less access to resources and, you know, medications out there. Um, and then I found another little girl that her mom runs her profile for her on Instagram. And she was like a couple years older. She's probably like three or four when I found the account that made me feel you know good. Just knowing that there's somebody else. And then I later on started finding more because they're out there, you know, they just, yeah. they, they trickle in. Um, there's not as many and there's not as many who are open about telling their story too, because, mm-hmm. you know, we tend to be just more private a lot of times when it comes to um, medical related things, you know, we don't tell our business, you know, we just... <laughs> So it's hard, it's hard, you know, um, kind of finding other like people of color and black people, um, with CF, but I did start to find, I did start to find them, um, 
And I'm so grateful because it, again, it just makes you feel less like a spectacle, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> I remember um, several years ago before Trikafta, uh, I was in the hospital doing just a tune up and I was in, in our hospital wings. We had like a little gym with a, a treadmill and I was running on the treadmill um, and running has always been something for me that's helped me to keep my lungs clear. And this girl walks in or I see this face pop up in the window. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. a door with like, like a rectangular window and it's this mm-hmm. girl, like looking in at me, this black girl and she comes in and I'll never forget what she said. She goes, how do you move like that? Cause I was <laughs> running and I, you know, we just like ended up talking and found out that she had CF and she was a one of, she was a triplet. She had two sisters. Wow. Yeah. And she and one of her sisters were in the hospital because of CF at that time. And I think the mm-hmm. third sister was fairly healthy, but um, that was the first time. And this was probably 2017 maybe. And it was the first time that I'd ever met a black person with CF. And I I knew that people, that black people and people of color could have CF, but um, I'd never met anybody. And so it was interesting to see mm the difference between how they seem to be treated in patient and how I was treated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like when you have CF, you're not supposed to be around other people with CF. But what's mm-hmm. interesting is, so she and her sister and her other sister grew up with a group of sibling siblings who all had CF. And I grew up with two siblings who had CF. So mm-hmm. the rules you know, kind of got bent for us. Cause it's like, what are you going to, you're raised in the same household as two other people. So you have like, what are you going to do? You can't avoid each other. Right. So I was masked and gowned and, um, you know, taking normal precautions, but I went into their room. She wanted me to meet her sister and say hi. And her sister was extremely ill. It was, it was really terribly sad, but, and I wrote about this a while ago, but whether real or imagined, I felt like so one of the nurses came in and was like, Hey, um, you know, you guys aren't supposed to be together. Like, you know, there's cross-contamination issues. You, you can't be in here and whether real or imagined, I just, I felt like the concern was directed at me and less towards them. And I just, mm. you know, yeah. And I felt that very acutely. And of course there, you know, I can't like prove that, but, but it, it just felt that the concern was directed at me and not at them. And, you know, there are disparities in the level of care of CF um, between white people and people of color. And, you know, I think your story is one that in part highlights that not necessarily with your care team, but um, the way that your son went undiagnosed and kind of Mm -hmm. dismissed is like, there's no way and that he could have CF. And then, so he and you and your family suffered through weeks of him being sicker than he needed to be because mm-hmm. he wasn't getting the care that he should have had from the beginning. Cause you had the genetic testing like that should have been caught. So I don't know. That's, that's something that um, was very eye opening to me. Cause I had never experienced anything like that. Um, like I said, they were the first people of color with CF that I had met and mm-hmm. It's just it's just an experience that I'll never forget. And um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on on like the disparities in the level of care for um, just in, in not even just in CF, but in, in healthcare in general um, when it comes to care for people of color. Yes, it is definitely a thing. And I'm sorry that like you had to to feel that and. And, and, and see, like, it, it you know, it, it sucks both ways, you know? Yeah. And something definitely needs to be done about it because in my situation, my son was seven weeks before he was diagnosed. And when I think about it, he was starving for seven weeks mm-hmm. with no enzymes, no treatment. Like the fact that as a, as a newborn, he was even able to survive long enough to get the treatment that he needed should not be taken lightly. Yeah. You know, the pediatrician never came back to us and told us after she found out that he had it, 
Like she, she never like had that moment where she just apologized for Mm -hmm. saying what she said. Like there was no validation any anywhere during, during that. And that also um, really bothered me because a lot of it too, I feel like it's pride. People just say things, even the geneticists should have never been allowed to just say, oh, well, you know, well, there's, you don't have anything to worry about because, you know, there's no way in heck that two black people will be able to produce a child with CF. Yeah. So the disparities are real. Um, It's really triggering. And I guess I'm one of those people that I try my hardest to, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, give people Mm -hmm. the benefit of the doubt, because it's it's almost exhausting to, to know that I'm walking into this treatment center or my son's walking into this treatment center and things might be different. He might not. I mean, there's been plenty of times where um, even just a few weeks ago, I you know took him to the children's hospital hospital for an eye exam to get evaluated for you know cataracts to make sure he was clear mm-hmm. to start trichapta. And you had people walking in and they weren't gowned. And I even said like like you know you need to put on like please go you know put on a gown and a mask. They left, they put the gown and the mask on and they came back. They're like, they read his charts and they're like, oh, well, oh, that's why. Like they didn't just trust that they needed to just go, you know, leave. Trust what I'm telling you and mm-hmm. go put, go gown up. Oh, they had to refer on. to the chart. Yeah, you had exactly. Like, why do you have to, why can't you just trust that? I know that he can't be exposed to whatever else you have on your scrubs. Yeah. You know, and so. It's just little. Yeah, it is. I just I look forward to a day where, you know, there's there's less of that. I look forward to a day knowing that if I go somewhere and and be seen medically, that I am, you know, taken seriously. Yeah. My sister um, years ago had issues with her um, with her liver, just like out the blue. Mm -hmm. And it was assumed that she was uh, an, an alcoholic. So they were like, oh, well, you're telling me that you don't drink at all? You know, after they looked at her at her liver scans and she's like, no, she has cirrhosis of the liver. And they, were, and they just kind of looked at her like, there's no way, like, like, you know, you know, you drank, like, you know, you've been turning up. Like she's, wow. she had, you know, Newt had just given birth to twins and, you know, like that's a lot. You put a lot on your body. Yes. Yes. And I know, you know, being a yep. twin mom, like it's no joke. So, wow. you know, I did see that her experience that, and I've had my own experiences. Um, I'm, I've also uh, a veteran. So I was in the Marine Corps hmm. and I remember being in boot camp and we had to get our wisdom teeth removed. I don't know why there was nothing wrong with my wisdom teeth. <laughs> They felt like they were going to be, yeah, it was so weird. They, they felt like it was going to be like something that, that was going to make us non-deployable, I guess, that could mm. come up, an issue that could come up later on. Yeah. But anyway, they ended up yanking out all four of my wisdom teeth. And I don't, apparently don't numb well, or I wasn't numbing well with what they were giving me. So I'm sitting here trying to tell them that I'm in pain. But they are yanking my teeth out, breaking them, trying to, you know, pulling them out in pieces because they said that, oh, well, you know, black people a lot of times have football player teeth and they're and and so I guess my wisdom tooth was like wrapped around my my jaw. And so I experienced an issue with not having enough pain meds, not being believed that I needed more. I've read things about this. Like, I think there's research on this that that healthcare professionals or that there's like a, a misconception or a cultural belief that black people's and black people and particularly women, black women mm-hmm. have like a higher pain tolerance. Yeah, and that, that that you know that they're tough, and so so I don't know. I don't know how to like put this in the right words, but but I know I've read things about this that. Um, Oftentimes women are not, black women are not believed when they say that they're in pain and that they need more pain medication, whereas white women are treated with more like 
care and, you know, given pain medication and, and believed when they say that they're in pain. Um, mm-hmm. and that's something that happens across the board. And so, wow. Yeah. So the, it's, and that's, that is true. Um, there's lots of experiments done and I know that this could probably go into a whole nother um, podcast episode, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrible just, um, with the experiments that were done on the, on the ladies that they were experimented on, um, and they were given, they were doing like a different gynecological test on them. And these ladies were in horrible pain and bleeding. And, and that wasn't that long ago, which is the scary thing. Yeah. But, well, and then also there's the, the syphilis, um, Oh, was it with the experiment? Tuskegee? Yeah, yeah. The Tuskegee Airmen. Another example of why a lot of times people of color don't trust medical professionals because things have been done that are completely horrible and, and immoral. And and that's why there's so much work that has to be done. Well, you know, a lot of black people go without knowing that they even have a CF gene because, you know, they're not getting tested. So what can the, the medical professionals do? What can society do as a whole for the trust to be gained back and for the support to be given, to be provided for them to take it seriously? If a child is test positive for like a CF protein, you know, like these are all things that need to happen in order for these disparities to be filled and for, you know, these case not to be repeat it time and time again because I mean come on we're getting to the point where there's so many medical advances there's no reason why a baby shouldn't like a mother shouldn't know like right away what's going on with her with her child in CF you know well it's just interesting like and sad all the examples that you gave of things that you've gone through and that your child has gone through and that your sister have gone through. I mean, none of those things work to build trust among the black community in America's healthcare providers. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the wisdom teeth example of, with you and then V's story and then your sister mm-hmm. after she had twins having liver um, cirrhosis of the liver and, and medical professionals thinking it's because she had drank too much. I mean, none of those things like that, those assumptions that people have need to change in order for people of color to be able to trust the healthcare that they're receiving. And, and it's interesting too, what you said about how it was hard for you to find other black people in the CF community, because mm-hmm. you, you kind of keep your, like in the, in the black culture, it's, it's more common to kind of keep your health care struggles mm-hmm. to yourself. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yes. You know, and I wonder if part of that's like a trust thing. It is. It is. I mean, I feel like there's already this thing where, you know, being Black in America, you know, being a Black female in America, I have to work, you know, triple times. It's hard to be taken seriously and just doing everyday things, you know, and now you pile on uh, medical complications. Well, you know, I, I was raised by a mom who always told me not to go out telling her business because you don't want that judgment, you know, like there's already enough. Yeah. Like she already has to go and, you know, bust her butt working long, crazy hours at work. Now she doesn't need any reason for any of her business to get out, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, that's going to hurt her image and possibly hurt her, her job and her livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, we are all just kind of just trained to not say anything. You don't want to be judged. And, you know, if you if something medical can you know, comes up, you don't want that because now you you have to go to the doctor and there's a lot of fear behind that, because then there's the, you know, you might get seen by a doctor that doesn't take you seriously or says that you're lying about something or says that you're drug seeking or whatever the case may be. And then that's a whole nother like added element, you know, or on the other hand, you're, I know a lot of the old folks, you know, they, they're afraid to be experiments. You know, you don't want to be, 
You know, you just they 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 feel like they can't trust the doctor because they feel like they might leave with something that they didn't come there with, just like the Tuskegee Airmen, you know, like this was real stuff. Right. And like you said earlier, it's not that long ago. I think a lot of people, particularly mm-hmm. white people, like to push it far back into the into history and say, oh, that was a long time ago. It's like it really wasn't. And wasn't. and people are st- black people and, you know, other people of color are still living with the traumatic effects of of having gone through things like that and i just think it's hard for white people to even be able to imagine what that feels like you know i mean our 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 healthcare system has lots of issues but i think generally speaking white folks trust our healthcare system and and have good reason to trust it when it comes to their health and so I think, I don't know, I, I just think it's important to talk about these things and, and you know, talk about the fact that there's not a lot of trust in the Black community when it comes to healthcare and why that is. And that that's not just the issue in and of itself, that that, that, that fear and that distrust leads to poor health outcomes in all kinds of health situations, you know, cystic fibrosis being one of them. But mm-hmm. um, like when it comes to heart disease, um, mm, yeah. the stats off the top of my head, but um, black folks suffer from heart disease and die of heart disease at higher rates than other people. And, you know, mm-hmm. that is due in part heart disease there's and... not trust. Exactly. You don't want to go to the doctor. And also um, the colon cancer, you know, things like that. Um and it's it's all because of it's largely due to the you know the mistrust in the healthcare system and you know the also just the wanting to keep things private and you know try to handle it ourselves because the fear of judgment as well yeah and you know i really think i want to just like touch on something that that you said about like yeah it these things weren't these things aren't buried deeply in history. You know, they didn't happen that long ago. I really think that people think if, you know, if, if a picture is printed in black and white, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, they can it just, you know, it happened 3,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you know, it, it's less impactful. But I really, I really hope that people can start seeing these things in color. Mm-hmm. really seeing the you know seeing these old the old the old pictures that you think you're seeing in color and and really just in general you know just really opening up our minds and really seeing things for what they are because it's not comfortable it's not comfortable to talk about you know right. but it these things happened and they're real and they're real issues and in order to get to this place that we need to be in, in America, we all need to really recognize and call things out for what they are and for what they were. Yeah. And, you know, start taking the steps to that. Like, that's how you, that's how you change the narrative. That's, that's how you start to really work through and fix the issues. You can't like we can't just like slime over it and act like these things aren't a problem or act like they never happened or just like do the half smile and keep it pushing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's much easier and much more comfortable to say that was a long time ago. I have no part mm -hmm. in that. I had no part in that. I have no I bear no responsibility. Um, But the truth is, we're still benefiting from the effects of things that happened, you know, a generation or two ago. Um, and by benefiting, I mean, white people are benefiting from things and, and black people and other people of color are, are suffering the consequences still of things that happened, you know, to the, your grandparents' generation, your parents' generation, your Mm -hmm. great grandparents' generation. And then on top of that, you know, I think it has to be recognized that, that these things are still happening today, you know, like, I mean, you can take the, the helix cell for, for instance, I mean, that's still being used um, widely and largely everywhere in science. Can you educate me? um, That sounds familiar, but 
So the and I and this sounds horrible, but I cannot remember her last name. But her name, her first name was Henrietta. Okay, and she had cancer, and she was being treated at the John Hopkins Hospital, and they were fascinated with her because she had, you know, cancer. Was she a black woman? And yeah, she was a black woman. She had she had cancer. But her body was still so strong, like even with the cancer, her like she was still thriving. And they were just fascinated by that, that a person can have cancer and just continue to, you know, thrive and thrive and thrive, even with like this aggressive cancer that usually just kills people, you know, quickly. And so instead of treating her, they just continue to watch the cancer like, oh, let's see what this is going to do. Let's see what this is. Let's go, let's see what it does. With, you know, when put with this, let's see what. It, so not treating you her know, like a human, treating her like a test subject. Yep, she was an experiment, mm-hmm. and so they so they ended up naming like the you know the helix, um, the, the helix cell that H E um after after her. But you know, like I think her family is just now i'm not even sure if they're getting reparations i I have to do more research so do not quote so she ended up dying on that but yeah she died she died and she was never treated for it so it's like it's things like that and her dna is still being used you know like on on experiments to this day and so it's like it's stuff like that the inhumane Mm -hmm. actions that like that that are happening is really it's a big thing that I think that's still that's that scares black people mm-hmm. you know I mean it's scary it's scary for me it's in the back of my mind you know now I'm gonna go to the doctor I'm gonna get treated I'm gonna do what I have to do because you know that's just the type of person I am but I understand that you know why the fears you know that our our parents and grandparents have are there because yeah wow well I want to switch gears just a little bit um okay and I I would love to hear because I I know you and I've seen snippets of V's life but I would love to hear from you as his mom like what is what V's like so V is amazing um (laughs) he is five years old and V is one of the most he is one of the most interesting people that I've ever known. Like, you know, it's it's like, it's, it's funny and interesting because, you know, he's my, he's my child, but like, I really did give birth to a very interesting person, an amazing person. <laughs> what do you mean by um, interesting? Well, he loves like his favorite thing is I love the way he thinks. So he is a geography enthusiast. So he loves, yeah, like he knows all 50 states, all all their capitals. I don't, I know 50 states. Look, listen, I just learned, (laughs) I just learned like a few of them only because of him. That's funny. And so he knows like all 50 states, all 50 capitals. Like he is obsessed with, um, there's certain countries that he's obsessed with. And one of, one of which is Irkut, which is in Russia. That, never heard of that. Yeah, like me neither. But like he's he's like, oh look, mommy, it's Irakut. And he thinks it's like he just thinks it's adorable. He loves this country. So that and he likes he really likes China and he knows all the countries within, you know, and territories within China and all of their um wow. capitals and India. So yeah, so he loves geography. He loves to learn. Um and he's a very kind person he's very loving very energetic very um compassionate i just i mean he's just cool like he's just a cool person to know and i'm very proud of him he sounds like he's very mature for his age (laughs) how how does he um how does he deal with all the things that come with having cf well um, it's helpful because he's always been very good at like, you know, taking his medicine. Uh, you know, I've never had to really worry about that. I'm not sure how much he understands that. Like, I mean, I know he knows he has 
CF. He's learning that he's different. But, you know, his father and I tried to really make sure that he knows that this is just something that he has to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody is different in different ways. And, you know, this is your life. And you can have the very best life. This is your life. This, you know, you, you got to take your enzymes, you got to do your therapies and stuff like that. And you just have to do it. But, you know, this is the only one that you have. And you, you were born with CF. And I'm so sorry about that. Cause like, I, like I gave, you know what I mean? I gave that yeah. to you and your dad gave that. It's like, I, I'm sorry about that. And that, that I can never be sorry enough about that, but because it is what it is, let's te- let's take care of you. Let's teach you how to take care of you and let's show you that, no, you can't pick all of your cards in life, but you can, you know, you, you can, you can pick a lot of them, you Choose know, how you to can, play them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, he's a very positive person and I, I, I feel like, I'm just so grateful for that because we're just trying to teach him how to to love on himself and to take care of himself and to work with what he has to the best of his ability. And, you know, I, I've never been the type of person to to teach him to feel sorry for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I do teach him to be compassionate with himself and to love himself because that's important. Yeah. You know, and I acknowledge when days are hard. I'm not, yeah. I'm absolutely not the type of mom that's going to say, well, you know, too bad. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> right. We're just going to have to get through it. No, <laughs> if, if he's having a hard day or if he's struggling or, cause I don't know what it's like yeah. to live in his body. So yeah. if he tells me that he's not feeling good, like I listen to him mm-hmm. and I trust him because I want him to know how to trust himself. Mm-hmm. You that's know, so important too, as he grows older you know, to, for him to know his own body and to trust his own, like for him to trust his own judgment on how he's feeling and what he needs. And I think that will lead to him being a good advocate for himself, which I'm sure he already is. It sounds like, like I said, he's very mature and like wise beyond his years. So I'm sure he does a good (laughs) job of like, you know, advocating for himself. But I think those are really important things for him to learn at a young age. So props to you, mama. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're shooting for. So I want to talk really quick about, about Trikafta. For people who don't know, Trikafta is the CF communities often referred to as the miracle drug. It's it's not a miracle. It's based in science, but, <laughs> but you know, it often gets dubbed a miracle drug um, that I've been on since 2019 and has completely changed my life. Um, it's taken away virtually all of my symptoms. I, the one thing that I do still do is take enzymes. Um, I think because I, you know, for so many years, my pancreas was taking abuse from CF. Um, I probably have quite a bit of scarring. So, so that'll probably be something that I'll always do is take enzymes. Um, as I'm still, uh, my pancreas is still insufficient, but, uh, it, it's what led to me being able to have my kids. They were a surprise. Yeah. Um, the, yo, yeah. Yeah. I t- started taking <laughs> Trikafta in December 2019 and found out I was pregnant in um, March 2020 at the start of the pandemic. Um, so totally surprised. And wow. twins were a surprise. So it's, it's you know, there's lots of Trikafta stories out there. There's um, mm-hmm. lots of people's lives have been changed. And it's uh, about 90% of the CF population is eligible to take Trikafta. Um, and V is one of those who, uh, because of his genetic mutations, he's, he's eligible, but mm-hmm. his, his age group is not quite approved yet, but mm-hmm. you got some good mm-hmm. news about that this week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I had kind of gotten word like a few weeks ago that he would be, you know, that, that the FDA was going to likely approved Trikafta on the 28th of this month. And, you know, we could go ahead and go forward with getting his eye appointments, you know, to make sure that his, you know, that he wasn't cataract prone and that he'd be fine to take it. And so we went ahead and and had that done earlier this month or might've been last month. But to know 
that first of all, he's within that number of of people that's, you know, able to take Trikafta. I mean, I can't like I just feel beyond blessed. And it it, it is it's it's weirdly bittersweet. Mm-hmm. It's weirdly bittersweet because I know his life is about to change. Mm-hmm. But I also know that there's a an entire like population, a lot of people still that can't take Trikafta. And some of them I've grown close with and like their kids are sick mm-hmm. and it's, that's hard to watch. So it's like, I feel, I feel so blessed that he's able to take it and I want to announce it to, to the world and, you know, make posts on Facebook and different social medias about it and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm like, I like, I don't know if I, you know, we should celebrate out loud because (laughs) so it's like, there's like that element too. It's hard, but I'm really curious to see what it's going to do for V. Um, Mm -hmm. V had some, some weight struggles early on. Um, Now he's doing, he's doing great. He's at a good weight. He recently had an enzyme increase. And so he's been gaining weight from that, getting taller. I'm just really excited to see him come into himself. He's he's five and a half, will be six soon. I'm interesting, interested to see, you know, what other developments he may have. You know, is he gonna, you know, both of his parents are tall. Like, is he gonna shoot up even more mm-hmm. in height? Like, you know, is he gonna be able to do more sports and mm-hmm. complain about being tired less because he is mm-hmm. tired chronically. I mean, he's all we always talks about being so tired all the time. Yeah. And so even though he has a lot of energy, so I'm just really excited to see him be, you know, the best version of him, of himself that he can be. I'm just ready for the rest of the CF foundation to have the chance to get the medical help that they deserve. Mm -hmm. You know, this needs to be for everyone. This this needs to be something that's for that's for everyone. And I and I'm also saying this too. Fortunately, I'm in a position right now where I am not having to pay anything for his medical care. And mm-hmm. I would just be out and say that. That's amazing. But there's a lot of people out there who cannot afford, you know, Tricafta. They're not going to be able to afford Tricafta with what the Vertex is doing. And as far as the co-pays and all, all, all of that in the, I, and and that is to me, that is sickening because I will not always be in this position to where, you know, I'm getting the benefits that I'm getting right now. So, you know, I worry like once I'm making much more money, like, am I going to be a part of that population Mm -hmm. that's like scrambling to make ends meet to make sure that he has the medications that he needs. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of thoughts. I know lots. It's like, I know, you you know, it's, it's an, it's a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster of thoughts and emotions. Yeah. So it's like, of course I'm, I'm glad that my son gets to take this medication and that he qualifies and it's huge. Mm-hmm. But there's so many, it's so multifaceted, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, and another thing, you know, just as a note, like um, a lot of, so a high number of the percentage of people of color who have cystic fibrosis have the nonsense mutations that make yeah. them ineligible for trichafta. Um So it's just another layer to the inequities, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, for, um, and I don't know the breakdown exactly of, you know, by race or whatever, in in that 10 to 15% of people who aren't eligible for a check after, but, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, these are in a lot of cases, people who are already facing inequities and and challenges Mm -hmm. in in their healthcare and then add this on top, you know, it's like this drug it's, it's here, it's helping so many people, but it's, it's not helping this group of people. So I think it's, it's really imperative. And, you know, I have hope and belief in the CF foundation that they'll continue to push and find therapies that are 
equivalent to trikafta for people who aren't eligible for trikafta but i think it's imperative that that push continues to happen um, it has to you know regardless of who the people in the in the 10 to 15 percent are but you know particularly when you consider that these are people who already face challenges when it comes to their health um, because of the society and the culture that we live in um it's like this shouldn't be one more thing that doesn't go in their favor it can't be. They have to figure this out because, you know, I think about V and I have the, I carry the the Delta 508 mm-hmm. and, and it's just like, thank God. Yeah. Right. You know, because it's like, if I didn't, you know, uh, my husband, his dad, you know, mm-hmm. carries an extremely rare, like it's super, it's super wow. rare. It's like less than like 2000 people. Wow. And so you know, what, what, what would we do? How, how, what, how would we navigate this if, if I didn't, you know, carry right. this main gene? So yes, I'm, I'm really hoping and, and believing that we'll continue. And, and, I, and I'm, and I'm hopeful. I'm like, I'm optimistic about yeah. it. I, I feel like it is something that is possible and I feel like it's going to happen, but we, you know, that means we can't stop. We can't yeah. stop advocating. We can't stop having these conversations, yeah. you know, which I really appreciate, by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm so I mean, grateful. I know and I understand why a lot of people of color are uncomfortable with, you know, like we talked about sharing their um their health situations. But I think I want to say thank you to you for for being open and and open to to sharing yours and V's and your husband's story because it's important that people know that you're out there. You know, I think I think story is a really powerful tool that we can use to get people to, you know, become aware of of certain issues and become aware of certain situations that exist in the world. And if if we remain quiet, then then people don't know what it is mm-hmm. we're, that we're going through. So I know, I, I wish, but at the same time, I understand why they don't, but I wish more people of color in the CF community would be open to sharing their stories like you are, because I think it can only help move things forward for people, mm-hmm. um, particularly people who are not eligible for Trikafta or Kaleidico, you know, these like really groundbreaking drugs. So I hope right. that you sharing your story, and I imagine it does, um, encourages and inspires other people to be comf- more comfortable sharing their own. That's what I hope too. And I'm going to keep sharing because I feel like, you know, they're out there. I know that there's people of color that are out there that, you know, with, who are dealing with CF, who, who have viewed my profile and they reach, they've reached out some of them. And I think, I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I think as long as we continue to use our voices and our own individual superpowers, then we can get there, you know? And I, that's why I say, I appreciate you, you know, as a white woman and a CF patient, like asking me to, you know, be on your podcast and, and having me share my story because like, that's, that's you using like your superpower and, and me, you know, coming on here and, and sharing my vulnerabilities and, and my story, I know that our voices are going to get out there and there's going to be changes that come from that. It comes from conversation, you know, yeah, right. it comes from like intercrossing worlds yeah, and sharing these stories. I really feel like that's a big part of the answer. Yeah, I agree. In a lot of yeah. things, you know, it's like yeah. people just need to talk. We need to have these conversations, be able to empathize with each other, hear the things that we're going through, believe each other. You know, that's yes. a big one. Like when that's somebody tells you what their story is, what their experience is, believe them. Yes. Believe yes. Them. Yeah. Okay. I want to do uh, some wrap up and fun Q&A. So, okay. Let's um, do it. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh. <laughs> I would say it's like <laughs> pause on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say my favorite thing. I don't think I've ever said this, but you know, I think as of recently, I think I'm funny and I might not be, <laughs> but like I cracked myself up. That's all that matters. So, 
<laughs> I love, yeah. And I, you know, I, I like to laugh. I like to laugh with people. It's one of my favorite things to do with other people. And it's fun for me. So yeah. I love to laugh. And maybe the other thing I would say is resilience. I'm pretty resilient. Those yeah. are good things. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, what's something that you appreciate in other people? A quality that I appreciate in other people. Just having a human connection, yeah. meaning like just sitting down, like doing what we're doing. I love talking to people and I love talking to people who are like different than me because I like mm -hmm. to learn. So mm -hmm. when people are willing to engage, you know, really engage with me and like we have a conversation, even if it's about something simple. Mm -hmm. I love that. What's a daily habit that you think is important? Exercise. Um, and nature uh, walks. Yes, nature walks, <laughs> which I did today. Yeah. Yes. Exercise and at least get outside once because even if there's like overcast, you're going to feel better than if you just stay cooped up all day. I, I've seen this on social media and I, I like the um, comparison that humans are really just complicated houseplants. Listen, yes, we are. I've, I've heard that too. We, we need it all. We need sunlight, food, and water. Like, yeah, so. And a little love. And love, yes. It's so true. What is something that you want people to know about you and V and your family story? I want people to know that there are lots of families like us that are out there. Um. And more personally, that if you see me, I'm just going to use the example of like parking in a handicapped spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mind your business. <laughs> because here's the thing, like CF is an invisible illness. Yeah, My son might look healthy to you and he's relatively healthy considering, but there's days where things are completely out of whack and it's hard. And I carry a diaper bag 24 seven, you know, when I have him with me with all of his stuff in it. And yes, he's five, but it's always more complicated than what you think. So mm -hmm. I just feel like people, instead of just judging because they see somebody maybe parking in a handicapped spot, You're getting out disabled. and they can walk, you know, they yeah. can walk, they don't have a wheelchair or anything like that. People just make up what they assume what they want to assume. So yeah. I'd rather people just ask. Mm -hmm. So just ask. If you're curious, just ask. And I will be glad to tell. I would love to talk. So I'll be glad <laughs> to tell, <laughs> tell people exactly what's going on. So I'd I've say heard just other don't... people express that same sentiment around parking and handicap. You know, I had a, I have a friend yes. who uh, I think 12 years ago now, maybe 13 years ago, she had a lung transplant. And so prior to transplant, she was parking in handicap. And she would get like mean looks and rude comments all the time. And it's like people have had no idea that she she was like living on, mm -hmm. I don't know, 15, 20% lung function. Yeah. And she needed that spot. But people are just so quick to make assumptions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's something that I wish that people didn't do because you just never know. What's a favorite book of yours? Um. I really have a lot of favorite books. Um, I would say I love Jen Sincero. I like her books. Um, she is an entrepreneur and um, she wrote some, some books, um, how to, let's see, how to be a, I think it's how to be a badass at making money. Oh, I've is heard one of that. Of them. Yeah. Um, and all of her books are very good. And fantasy too. I like little fan like fantasy. I'm starting to get into like gotta just, throw in some fiction. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, my last question is just how can people engage with you? So I am on um Instagram. My my handle is called the fizz F I double Z bit B I T. And I'm always, Instagram is like my favorite platform. Me too. So yeah, so it's so, it's so good. It's not complicated. You know, mm -hmm. the best way to reach out to me would be on Instagram. You can cool. DM me and I would love to have a conversation with you or to answer any questions that any, anybody may have. Very cool. 
Well, thank you, Fizzy, for chatting with me. Um, I think we had a good conversation. I'm excited yes. to get your voice out into um, into the hands of of people who listen to the podcast. I think it'll be a really valuable one for for folks to listen to and um, do engage with Fizzy and ask her if you have questions. She's she's very open and just a very kind person. You won't regret it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.